Hi, everybody. Jose Palomino, CEO of Value Prop and the host of Business Growth on Purpose. Glad you could be with us today because our guest today is Ken Rusk. And Ken's a successful business person. He built uh, an industrial category business. He'll tell us about that. But most of all, he's really focused on helping people figure out the next steps in their personal lives. And we're going to talk about how that connects to running a business successfully by helping other people figure out what they want to do next. He's the author of the book, Blue Collar Cash. It's a, it's a New York Times bestseller. And so we're very excited to have Ken join our show right now. Welcome, Ken, to Business Growth on Purpose. Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, my, my pleasure. So, so Ken, uh, just to orient our audience, if you just be kind enough to just say, you know, what do you do primarily and who do you do it for? Well, um, I have my own company. It's, uh, it's a construction company. And I uh, started it when, oh gosh, some like 35 years ago and uh, started with six people and grew up to like, I think we have almost 200 now. And wow. And um, we're in lots of different types of construction things. And it, uh, it, it's been a heck of a ride so far. Wow. And now you've also become a published author as well. So tell us just a little bit about that, like maybe kind of what led you down to that journey and uh, how's it been so far? Well, you know, it, it was a it was a really cool experience and it continues to be. You know, when I when I first got the idea to write the book, it was because I was becoming an almost involuntary life coach to all the people in my office. Um, we tend to hire people that are working in construction and, you know, sometimes they need a little help, guidance, whatever direction. And so I did a lot of that. And, and some of the things that I was doing worked really well for them and have been for the last couple of decades. So um, I was encouraged to tell that story beyond the four walls of my company. So I started writing down some stories and, and here we are. Um, we were, we were very fortunate. We hit bestseller status last fall and it just continues. And, and the title of the book, Ken, just so people listening say, well, what book is this? Oh yeah, it's called Blue Collar Cash, and um, it's it's really not so much about blue collar jobs as it is about how do you visualize the rest of your life, take control of what that vision is, and then go get it. Well, you know, so it's interesting. Um, a lot of our audience is certainly not exclusively, but a lot are, are owners of businesses, right? Similar to you, you know, heavily industrial categories and so on, manufacturing, other services, and so on. And what I've always observed, and it's an interesting thing, is a lot of times people in that role, they're kind of stuck a little bit. Like they don't know another path. Like they, some of them are not even that happy doing it, like owning their business, but they don't know how to get off the boat. So is that something, you know, if, if somebody approached you that way, let's say a peer you met at Chamber of Commerce or something, and you kind of sense they weren't, you know, they're doing all right. It wasn't because of financial duress, but they just weren't that happy. What are some things you'd you challenge them with to think about? Well, first off, you know, the only way that you can really be spontaneous and visionary is to kind of drop the day-to-day -day stuff that keeps you stuck, like you just said. So for me, I know this sounds crazy, but most owners of companies fear becoming irrelevant, okay? And what I would say to them is your stated purpose, your daily goal should be to become irrelevant to the business that you're running because that puts you in a position to have everybody else in your company take over the things and drive the company with and for you. And I have to tell you, you know, as an owner, you can't get what you want, nor can your company get what it wants or needs until all of your employees get what they want first. That is a fact. It's a linear process. So they have to feel like they're winning in their own personal lives. They have to feel like they're winning at work. 
they have to feel like they're in control of their own destinies and in control of their their departments and that's really what you want so you really have to let go and say i'm going to let all these people help me to drive this company and when you do that they'll take it much further than you could ever take it yourself believe me but can i tried that 10 years ago because i had a consultant to tell me to do that and it was a bit of disaster and man there were fires i had to jump in i had to because nobody really knows the business the way I grew up in it. My family grew up in it. You know, I, I, I had to get in. I just don't see how, how I can make that transition. I, I'm not sure I have the people who can do that. I guarantee you that you probably haven't ever asked the question to your, to your people. What do you want your life to look like? Okay. Mm -hmm. Tell me what that looks like. Draw it out. Let's get a piece of paper, some cardboard and some crayons. The last time you held a crayon in your hand, you were probably four but you're at your more and most creative states of your life, right? Because you had to draw something from nothing. Let's draw what you want your life to look like in absolute detail. What your transportation looks like, what type of house or, or, or condo or apartment you want, what type of pet you'd like to have, what type of uh, vacations you like to take, what's your hobbies, what's your give back moments, what's your family look like, what's your health routine look like. Let's draw all that out get a really clear picture of what you want for yourself. And then let's together work on you getting that one piece at a time. The more people you can get aligned with that type of thinking, the more you're going to say, wow, because they're going to look at you and say, thanks for the training and the guidance, Ken. Now get out of my way and let me go do it. So I would say stick to it. You know, entrepreneurs are persistent and they're resilient and they don't give up. And um, so you just haven't found maybe the right perfect people yet, but they're out there. And uh, our business is ditch digging. It's one of the toughest businesses out there. And um, we do this every single day. So you just got to find what strikes them and then uh, and put them in, in, in position to get that. So I can see a lot of owners or people in leadership, especially in the small to mid market saying, Ken, I, I hear you. That sounds impressive. But, you know, I'm not an organizational development expert. I don't you know, I'm, I don't know how to create, you know, HR kumbaya moments for my team. So like. You know, I give them a fair paycheck and they come to work and we treat people well. Why isn't that enough? Well, again, it all depends on what you want for yourself. I mean, if, if, if that's where you want to be, then you need to find a way to live happily in that space. So honestly, if, if that level of, 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 of you know, result for your company is getting you the things that you want for your life, fine. Um, if somebody is unhappy or they feel stuck, it's probably because they haven't drawn their own picture of what they want their life mm -hmm. to look like. So, you know, the, the best way to teach anybody anything is to have done it yourself. Okay. So maybe sit down with you or your family. And I've had lots of business people that, that told me what you just said. And, and, you know, then you find out, uh, three months later that they've planned that trip to Yosemite in the, in the RV with their family next year. So yeah, you have to get off your own seat and go do this. The only way to become unstuck is just to start visualizing and figuring out what you want for yourself. So maybe you need to start that for yourself before you can share with your company. But believe me, okay, we've got we've got guys and gals that are up to their knees in mud and jackhammers and concrete and dust and everything else. And um, we find ways to get them to see that they can control their life and make great things for themselves. And I, I encourage anybody to do that. Entrepreneurship isn't exclusive to me. Entrepreneurship is just a set of characteristics, which we all have, but they don't tend to come out unless we know what we want and where we're going. I think that's what leads the way. 
Wow. And, you know, I could see the application for this, especially I'm not going to pick on them, but especially uh, what I have observed in close to 20 years doing strategic consultant for consulting for this kind of category of business is often family owned businesses where kids ended up kind of taking over the business, but nobody stopped to ask them if that's what they really wanted to do. Right. So I know there's more enlightened thinking where they say, no, you know, make your kids buy the business because that's the best way to know whether or not they actually want to be in the business. Uh, but there's a lot of pressure sometimes in those family businesses to keep on keeping on and keep on, keep the name alive kind of thing. And, you know, uh, and, and people aren't really even happy doing it. I, I've noticed there's a absolute distinct difference. Okay. You've got your legacy business owners, which, you know, they maybe they took the company over from their parents. And I have friends in this exact category where they've made it much bigger, much more successful than their parents did only because it was just the next level. It was just, you know, they got, they got to a point where they could handle what they could handle. And then the new blood, the new energy came in and took it much bigger. I've also seen people that just kind of rode the coattails of their, of their parents' companies. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, a lot of times those things just languish. They don't te technically grow. And then there's, you know, there's kids that have ruined their parents' companies. I've seen that happen as well. But again, I think just like, you know, my financial planner who does a lot of family business transitioning um, uh, consulting, you all have to have a real clear vision of who's doing what, who wants what for themselves, who's getting what out of this picture, and then go sit down and make that happen with, with some type of plan that you talk about ongoing. I mean, you know, to set these types of family transition plans isn't a one-time thing. It's, it's at least uh, a monthly meeting for the first year and then a quarterly meeting after that. And everybody knows who's on everyone's page. That seems to be the way to get that done in a successful way. Wow. So it's, it's very intentional to make these transitions happen. And there's just no way around that. You can't, you can't uh, shortcut that. But, you know, it, it just something that comes to mind is, is just talking, Ken, is, you know, of course, the last couple of years, the world has gone through, at least in our lifetime, an unprecedented event, right, that affected the entire planet, especially and in, in, to a large degree, very much in industrial categories, but everybody was left affected. And then you see things like Apple that had just proudly, I think in 2019, opened up their massive global headquarters. It was like a space station. It's like $300 million for this building. And then COVID happens. And now you have Apple employees actually petitioning that they don't want to go back to the office. So my question, so much of what you do in setting goals and helping other people set goals is kind of, you know, ties into company culture. Do you see a significant difference with the, and I'm not to pick on them, but just they're part of, you know, it's part of life, the younger generation that may have a different set of expectations. Is that a transition that leaders have to make an adjustment for? You know, I, I think it, this is a this is a quick and easy answer to that. So I probably hired 2,500 people in my career, okay? And from all walks of life, right? So it used to be that when they would come into the office, you know, it would be me, boss, you, potential employee, why should I hire you, mm -hmm. okay? Well, that's kind of flipped now. Now it's almost like where they come in and sit down at the desk and say, what's in it for me to work here? And I'm okay with that. I mean, it's but not everybody, not everybody of a certain generation is okay with that. You're right. You're right. But if, if you think about that person sitting in the chair is going to help you to get the picture that you've drawn for yourself, mm -hmm. then they have to get their picture 
clearly envisioned in their mind first. And that's why I say, I don't mind a selfish employee, especially if that employee has a little bit of entrepreneurial employee in them. Mm -hmm. You know, selfish doesn't necessarily have to be a bad word. I mean, the word self and ish, you know, you're talking about you, right? As long as it's not at the detriment of somebody else, I'm okay with a little bit of selfish because that means they're driven, that they, they know what they want for themselves and they can get what they want with and through this vehicle you call your company. I'm I'm totally okay with that. So the, the younger generation, it, it's just a different way of dealing with them. But, you know, I think we were all probably really, you know, pie-eyed when we first, you know, got out of high school and we were going to do all these things. And then kind of the reality of the world sets in and then you figure it out. So you just have to bridge that gap with a little bit of, again, clear, crystal clear vision and goals. And um, I think you'll, I think you'll make your way through that just fine. Okay. Well, it's interesting, right? Because I mean, it's just so much has changed. So, you know, just uh, curious, Ken, in terms of, um, you know, so much of what you described involves communications, right? The ability to really talk to people and connect with them. And of course, an additional thing, you know, not just working from home, but the whole idea of working via Zoom, working not in person. Um, how does that tie into being able to really connect with people? I mean, can you do some of these things? I mean, there are companies that still not went completely remote, close up the offices and have to try to build a company culture and connect with people and, and so on via, you know, looking at people with, uh, you know, through a screen. How, how does that work going forward? Do, do you still need to break bread with people? I guess is, is my question. Yeah, I don't know that you ever get away completely from having some type of a group setting, even if it's once or twice a week. I have friends that have done that where, you know, it's mandatory that they come in on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and if they want to work Monday and Friday or from home or whatever. So they've designed different ways to do that. Mm -hmm. But they do have these culture building sessions that are in person. So I just have, I, I think the jury is still out on whether a company can really be effective if everybody's working in their pajamas. You know, so I think we're going to we're going to figure that out because we're going to see which companies continue to grow, which ones level out, which ones, you know, get set back a little bit. So I can't really judge whether that's going to be successful yet or not. But I can tell you this, as long as everyone and again, to beat a dead horse, as long as everyone um, has an idea of what they're chasing is something that is impactful, something that they wake up thinking about something that they have, you know, up on the wall somewhere in there. There's no way I would let someone ever work remotely if they didn't have a vision board on the wall in their living room. I just would never do that because, you know, the whole culture of what we do here with all of the, all the goal boards that we have and, and, you know, all, they're all shared amongst everybody else. Everybody can see what everybody else is working on. I don't know how you replace that, you know, just sitting in your living room. So mm. To me, you'd have to have some really responsible and certainly some very driven employees to just let them kind of stay home indefinitely. Right. And I guess, well, a good rule we like to observe is you got to wear pants of some sort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Got to wear pants. Got to wear uh, pants. But now that's interesting. So one of the things, of course, to the title of your book, uh, Blue Collar Cash, right? So the whole idea of blue collar. And, and that's an area that's always fascinated me um, because, I mean, and it's actually a, a very significant, I think, topic for our country, like, are we going to be a manufacturing leader? And we've manufactured plenty. It's, it's often over exaggerated how, you know, all, all manufacturing left the U S and I say, well, talk to Caterpillar, talk to John Deere, talk to Boeing, not so sure. much. Right. Um, 
but automation has taken hold and so on. But, but, but I'm getting to a point, which is of course, having, having kids of a certain age, thinking about their futures and, you know, blue collar in our, in our culture now has been kind of, I'm not going to say demonized, but it's been minimized as like, that's if you can't go to college or you're not smart enough to get a real position, you end up in a blue collar job. So I'd like you to just expand on it a little bit, because again, you've hired all these people. And if you're digging ditches, there's some real blue collar work there. Well, first off, you know, the the manufacturing sector of the United States has always been a bellwether, but it's never been the 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 majority of the it's never really broken 20 percent of the entire blue collar field. If you think about it, I mean, right now for you to get out of bed and get yourself ready to go into the office or even to drive to church or, or go to the store, you're going to cross a thousand blue collar jobs that are still viable today just driving that short distance down the road to whatever that destination is. So I look at it this way. Supply and demand is a force that you can never beat unless you manipulate the facts. And, you know, even our government loves to do that sometimes. But supply and demand is something that you need to make your friend all the time. So if, if supply and demand is dictating that we're sending everybody to college, 176 million people work in the United States, 77 million of them work with their hands. If we send all of our future kids to college, you're not going to have very many people working in the trades. So now what are you going to have? Are you going to have carpenters making more than doctors? Are you going to have plumbers making more than attorneys? Because that's starting to happen already. Yeah. Okay. So I look at it this way. You know, there's always been a half a dozen ways whether it's through a military career, through an apprenticeship, through a tech school, through a trade school, through uh, just getting a job out of high school. And college is one of the six. It's never been all of the six. So I would say be a contrarian thinker because I have a finished carpenter working on my house right now that makes in excess of $150,000 a year. And he whistles at work every single day. Okay. (laughs) You think about this. Where else can you control your input your output, the quality of that output, the timing of that output, the scheduling of that output, your day and your financial gain, if not working in something that you do yourself or with a small group of people in your company. Where else can you get that? If you're sitting in the 15th floor of some building in a cubicle and you're a very small part of a huge machine, I don't know that you feel that. So I, I don't understand the stigma of this because most of the friends that I have that are very successful people are all in blue collar jobs or manufacturing or some type of thing. Um, I don't know where that came from, but it certainly wasn't around 20, 30 years ago. And I don't think it should be around in the future. So for all of you out there, <laughs> think on the other side, think contrarian. If everyone's going this way, you might want to go that way because that's where all the money is. Wow. That's, I, I really love that, Ken. And that, that really does highlight the fact that not, I mean, there's so many, and this has been well-documented in the whole discussion around, and not to get into it, but around student loans and things like that. Sure. That a lot of degrees just aren't worth the paper they're written on. I mean, they're, they're just not, not as a way of earning a living. Sure. So I think there are some things, if you're in a position with a family, whatever, where you could pursue something strictly for the intellectual pursuit yes. of it, fine, you know, have at it. Uh, nothing wrong with that. But if you actually need to earn a living at the age of 22, 23, after having spent four years preparing for something, you have to think more practically. Uh, even, even in the college pursuit, there's, there's paths that you could that are more practical. 
But I've seen, again, just exactly what you described. I've seen people in the trades earning a very good living doing things that have a lot of dignity sure. uh, that are, you know, like manufacturing in particular, not just man, but manufacturing isn't, isn't dark, dirty and dangerous anymore in most places. Right. Um, and, and, and I'm sure a lot of the other trades are, are in the same thing. So I think that is a necessary shift in our culture that we have to open up the lens again, because we've tightened it down to it's college or bust, or you're, or you're, you have somehow <laughs> failed in American society. That's not healthy. No, it, it's not healthy. And it's funny because, you know, you used to be able to go to high school and look through those glass windows in the hallway and see somebody making a, a table out of wood, or you could see someone fixing a car or welding an outlet or welding or, you know, wiring an outlet or welding some metal or, or cooking or whatever. You could see those things in action and you could go in and accidentally discover those things and say, you know what? Wow, I really like working with my hands. I think this carpentry thing is for me. Well, they took all those classes away, put computers in those rooms, which I never understood. Why was it one or the other? And I know we needed to learn computers, but why did it have to be a binary choice? You know, right, right. so you combine that with the fact that instead of kids playing in the in the playground or, 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 or building tree forts with wood and nails and hammer like we used to do, they're building, you know, cities on Minecraft on their cell phones. And then you've got that in, in the fact that these colleges are really good at shaming high schools and teachers and parents and students into it's us or nothing. Don't forget they charge for those services. So you're not going for free. You have this perfect storm of people that aren't thinking about going into the trades and it's going to, for the people that are willing to do that, they're going to be in really, really good shape. Oh yeah, I mean, you mentioned the uh, the finished carpenter. I've you know recently needed a plumber to come in for something, and I'm thinking, dang, that's a that's a pretty good rate of return on that. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> and you know, and the reality is, I had no choice. But you you know, like you you have to resolve the problem. So there you go. Sure. So that's that's really funny. Well, Ken Rusk, it's been a delight getting to know you a little bit, and for our audience as well. So if somebody wanted to know more about what you do. And what you write about and what how you help people through your coaching, your courses, things like that. Where should they go? Well, I would have them go to KenRusk.com. And, um, you know, I, I always do like to mention that my, my life was really good before I wrote this book. And so for me, this book is about helping people. And I have, I, I'm one of the few people that actually mean that. So I designed a course along with this book where if you buy the course, it, it will change the way you think about your future. You buy the course, you get a free book with it. And every time you do that, um, I will donate a course and a book to someone that either you know or someone here in our community that could use the, the help and the guidance. So just know that if you decide to help yourself, read Blue Collar Cash, take the course, and uh, you'll be helping someone else in the process. Fantastic. Ken Russ, thank you so much for stopping by Business Growth on Purpose. We appreciate yes. it. Have a great day. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose. If you like the show, hit subscribe and leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And if you're ready to take the next step in driving intentional growth for your business, come check out what we're doing at valueprop.com. We've developed industry-leading programs and systems to help B2B owners take control of their growth. Until then, thanks for listening to another episode of Business Growth on Purpose.